don't change our behaviour, by the year 2050, there's going to be more plastic in the ocean than fish. So do we want a system of anarchy? And that's what we probably have at the moment. And they estimate that there's about 40.3 million people in some form of modern slavery. There is no single industry not touched by this issue. Definitely racists have been very good at using the internet. There's been a shift in thinking about who counts as a terrorist and there are currently terrorist laws being used against white nationalists. Where people's lives are being destroyed, that to me is enough to say something needs to be done here. Welcome to What Happens Next. I'm Dr Susan Carland. In this episode, we meet a remarkable group of young women working to improve the lot of those affected by modern slavery. The trio are part of the Modern Slavery Law Clinic, which runs out of the Monash Law School. And it aims to help people caught up in modern slavery by providing legal assistance to those who might not otherwise be able to afford it. It helps students, like the ones we'll speak to today, learn how they can apply the laws in different countries with a focus on Southeast Asia. And the students learn how to help those impacted by this complex issue to seek redress. It also aims to boost the legal capacity of non-government organisations in the region. Hey, I'm Phoebe. I'm a fifth year law arts student, uh, majored in journalism um, and got involved in the Modern Slavery Clinic at the start of this year, actually, when Professor Jean-Alaine kind of sent an open invite. Hi, I'm Evloxia and like Phoebe, um, I joined at the beginning of the year. I joined particularly because uh, I have done a major in Indonesian. Um, so I've been researching on Malaysia and Indonesia. I'm Peggy. I'm a fourth-year law student. Um, I joined the Modern Slavery uh, Law Clinic um, through doing the Modern Slavery Unit in Malaysia, uh, which was amazing, and so that's how I got into the clinic. Welcome, Peggy, Phoebe and Ephthoxia to the podcast. Thanks for coming in. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah. You are all part of the Modern Slavery Law Centre. Tell us about that. Tell us about the projects that you've been uh, working on in that. I might start with you, Peggy. Yes. Um, so, Doxy and I were working in the Victim Compensation Group and essentially what we looked at was six uh, particular countries and the legal frameworks around them um, in terms of whether they provide victims of modern slavery and human trafficking victim compensation. And were you, were you all, Phoebe, I might ask you this, were you surprised at the extent of modern slavery when you got involved in the, in the centre? Personally, no, actually. I think because I'd been aware of it for a longer period of time and that was what made me initially want to be involved in it. I, it for me, it actually started back when I was in high school, um, doing a trip around Cambodia um, uh -huh. and seeing it in situations there. Yeah. And so that kind of actually pushed me into law and then pushed me into the slavery clinic. So personally, no, but I think a lot of people would be surprised at the extent, yeah. Yeah, if Doxy, would you say that the average person has a fair grasp of the extent of modern slavery? I think there's awareness around that, but also a certain amount of complacency as to like how complicit in that we are. Uh, at the beginning of the clinic on our first day, we did a, I think it was called a slavery footprint metric, um, where we sort of answered a bunch of questions. And at the end, uh, we were told how many sort of slaves uh, were involved in maintaining our lifestyles. And I think sort of it was about 40 to 50 per person uh, in the room. And like, while you kind of might be aware of like, sort of how slaves kind of are supporting your lifestyle, I think that kind of hit home. The average person would probably be aware that slavery exists, but it's it's somewhere out there. It's somewhere yeah. out in the world, whereas actually particularly doing the slavery footprint thing, it, it brings it home. It's like, yeah. oh, that many 
slaves contribute to my lifestyle and what I'm what I'm doing actually affects them as well rather than it being something out there yeah do you ever feel despondent when you do the work and you realize the enormity of the task absolutely 100 <laughs> percent. I think every couple of weeks we just all took a break from well not took a break but took a step back and looked at how much I guess we had to consider because modern slavery just comes into effect in everyone's life and from different perspectives and from every aspect and so from little things like the things that you buy holidays um just it's just so ingrained in our lifestyles that we don't even notice it um yeah so it can be a little bit overwhelming and confronting yeah. especially when doing the flip print yeah yeah and I remember asking Gina the supervisor of the clinic sort of how given her work in the field like how she kind of lives her life knowing that kind of complicity and she just said yeah it's like it's hard um it's hard to be pure in that way um but I suppose what I guess what is the alternative yeah you find out about the ubiquity of slavery and think well I'm a terrible person everything's stuffed yeah or you can do what you guys are doing, which is try to participate in in trying to create some positive change. Tell us about some of the the successes or or good things that have happened in the work that you've been doing. Maybe Phoebe, we'll start with you. It's easy to look at the the sides of the task and go, oh, there's there's nothing I can do. Why bother? But then actually, we heard a talk from Kevin Bales, um, and he mentioned statistic wise that it would they estimate it would cost maybe twenty to thirty billion dollars to eradicate or at least get slavery down to a really low minimal level um, over the next like several years and that's actually the same amount that it would cost to put a person on the moon Mm. so it is actually doable and when you look at it like that it's it seems a little bit less even though that would be such an it's such a huge amount it seems insane but on a global Mm. scale it's actually not and Mm. so putting it into perspective a little bit like that actually helps a little bit go, okay, what I'm doing might be just a drop in the ocean, but it's contributing towards something that is actually able to be made better in a, in a way. I'm looking for a word that I'm not finding. <laughs> do you think society has the will to move in that direction? Do you think we do want to try to change things? I think we do, particularly as our worlds are becoming more globalised and we're seeing vision mm. of people getting affected um, and I think change needs to come from the top uh, you know legislative capacity but also consumers and sort of people like you and me are sort of demanding change often through our buying power um, I don't think that should be overestimated I think that uh, sort of policymakers and like states themselves need to um, make big changes and we're seeing in Australia, um, the beginnings of that process with the, uh, I think, in 2018 Anti-Slavery Act, um, and that now requires businesses uh, earning a certain amount um, to start reporting their supply chains. While I don't know in de- too much detail uh, the nature of that reporting, I don't think it's too onerous. Um, mm. But it's kind of, we're seeing a move towards accountability for, yeah, uh, people at the top being expected to know like their processes kind of if they're sort of far removed in other countries. And, yeah. yeah. Do, what else do you think we need to do? You, you said we can't really put too much emphasis on the individual consumer. Yeah. A lot of it does have to be policy. Yeah. If you could wave a magic wand and apart from just removing all modern slavery, yeah. how would, what policy would you want to see put in place? Our research was in victim compensation. So looking at the other end where uh, victims have gone through the criminal process of maybe um, trying to put their perpetrator um, through the justice system, seeing victims supported in a really complete way uh, would be really wonderful um, uh, through like monetary funds and also 
um, sort of housing and social rehabilitation, whereas I think often victims can go by the wayside mm. and aren't fully supported. Um, yeah. Mm. And kind of following on from that, um, one of the contributing factors of that is with globalisation as well, a lot of huge corporations are seeking human resources from other countries. Oftentimes they're vulnerable people. And so if there's a responsibility on corporations not to engage services from people who are either known or suspected of um, engaging in modern slavery, that would also make a huge difference because we can't know what every corporation is doing and where they're sourcing all of their work from. However, if we put pressure on organisations to be aware of it and to prevent that, that would also make a big difference. It sounds great that, you know, Australia is doing all of this, like Modern Slavery Act, woo. Um, but ultimately the, the Modern Slavery Act doesn't really have a lot of teeth in terms mm. of any repercussions for companies that do find slavery in their supply chains. Mm -hmm. um, they can just report it and that's, that's everything fulfilled. I think the onus does still fall on us as consumers to actually still be active about what choices we're making, mm. um, look at companies and, and see what their supply chains are like and, and then make our decisions from there. It's still really, yeah, it still really does fall on us as consumers mm. rather than just a company has reported that it's found slavery and that's that, is kind of the, them fulfilling their obligations under the Modern Slavery Act. Has anything changed for you guys while you've been involved in the, in the clinic? Have you noticed any changes in your own behaviour, maybe things that you buy or anything else in connection to what you've learned? On one level, you know, as Phoebe said, we'd kind of had some sort of awareness beforehand. So things like um, not buying fast fashion, buying from op shops secondhand or um, fair trade organisations, that's one change that, that can be made or has been made, yeah. Also having some awareness that the uh, fishing industries in Southeast Asia are quite problematic, particularly out of Thailand, but they are making changes to regulate. Um, so I think sort of now when I buy fish, I'm very aware of... Uh, where the origin country. Yeah, I think particularly fast fashion for me as well, becoming more aware of that has meant that I avoid certain stores or, you know, just because um, as a student previously, it's, it can be like, oh, it's cheap. I'll go yeah. for that. It's yeah. really um, cheap. That's yeah. that's one of the hard that's things yeah. about it, isn't it? It is yeah. very cheap. And especially a lot of these sites, these are online shops. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's easy as yeah, well. How do you think we convince people to get over that convenience? I think it's difficult to convince people because the fact of the matter is if you can't afford something, you can't afford something. Yeah. And so I think it's up to organisations and even above that governments and states to ensure that things can be affordable and yet still be um, not products of modern slavery because you may want to buy something that is not and you're not too aware of it, but then the fact of the matter is your budget is so much. And so convenience is unfortunate, but it's some people's realities and yeah. so that has to be taken into account. And maybe this is a bit pious, but uh, because things are so cheap, I think sort of we consume like much more and I think sort of taking away that need from people to just keeping on buying things and, yeah. We, we could spend more on... Um, fewer items. Fewer, yeah, yeah, spend mm. more on fewer items, which, again, is a pretty privileged position to be able yeah. to do that. Mm -hmm. um, but also there is op shopping. I think, Peggy, you mentioned. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's a hard barrier to overcome the convenience, honestly. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, maybe there can be that little voice in the back of your mind that's <laughs> guilt going, uh, you bought a cheap item, but it wasn't made by child slaves. And then every time you pick that up, you go, well, I don't know if it was made by child slaves. Yeah. Is that enough to get over the convenience, mate? convenience issue maybe? <laughs> do you see a change in 
people your generation, your friends, are they aware of this sort of thing? Is it part of the conversation? Is there a move away from, say, fast fashion because they're starting to be conscious of modern slavery? I would think in some cases, yes. Um, but we're probably in a bit of a bubble with mm-hmm. sort of fairly like well-off. I think about um, when I was in high school, one of the, I guess, biggest movements to op shopping was it was a trend as opposed to social awareness, you know. And so sometimes um, even though a trend may not come from a a point of awareness, it Mm -hmm. can actually benefit. Like it would be nice to say that just being aware of the issues with certain clothes would actually bring a change. Mm But it's probably more likely to come from fashion setters, mm. to right. be honest, yeah. in the end of the day. So you need yeah. that influencer with three million followers yeah. on Instagram yeah. to yeah. make this his or her yeah. issue. Right. So you really need Kim Kardashian to start talking about this. <laughs> uh, well, now she's going to reach out, ask her to join the centre. Do you think there's much overlap in – I know, again, I am asking you to speak for your generation, but would there be much overlap with uh, people your age with – uh, not just the modern slavery aspect of it, but also the environmental aspect. Do you think there's any, or would that even be more of a consideration? I do wonder do you think? if that is more of a consideration, um, given the effects of climate change are more visible. Um, sort of, we're seeing in New South Wales like fires kind of ravaging the state. Like uh, people are probably feeling that more, and I think you see the the waste as well of like um, clothes is like really high and. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think this is one of the powerful things with social media. It can shed light and awareness and put pressure on people to act more consciously, which is a good thing. Anything surprising you learnt while working at the clinic? The complete absence, or not the, com- the complete <laughs> absence, but um, the significant absence of legislation that um, protects um, victims and then also that, I guess, compensates them for their loss because it's kind of um, an intersection where are they the state's responsibilities or are they their perpetrator's responsibility? Who was responsible for restoring the person back to the position prior to being affected by modern slavery and human trafficking? And so the absence of legislation just made a huge difference because it was having to look at the law from different angles and trying to intertwine different legislation to try and potentially use that as a strategy to compensate a victim as opposed to there just being a blanket provision or there just being a specific provision. And I wonder if that, like, is because the victim isn't a very important stakeholder. Uh, They're probably people from another country in a low socioeconomic bracket. Um, Yeah, their voice is not going to be strongly heard, I think. Has the work that you've done at the Modern Slavery Law Clinic influenced what you want to do in the future? Let's start with you, Peggy. I think it has. Um, I kind of have been between um, which area of what I wanted to focus on. And I think being a part of this clinic has really shed light on the power and not just the power, but I guess the um, the effect, the positive change that you can make in people's lives and on a bigger scale because we'll be, you know, dealing with um, organisations that are high stakeholders and so they can make a bigger difference in, on an individual basis. So that was really encouraging. What about you, Phoebe? I think it has affected the way I got whatever I end up doing. I'm still figuring that out. I think it has affected the way I'll go about it because it permeates so many different spheres. Right. It doesn't really matter. You don't have to be doing law mm-hmm. to make an impact. Is it mm-hmm. because it permeates so many different spheres? It can be whatever I end up doing. I'll have this in mind, and so am able to use that and adjust that into yeah whatever whatever I end up doing. 
if that's for you. <laughs> Having studied uh, the employment law aspects when we were looking for compensation, um, I kind of realised the value that employment law has to serve people, given like how employment is or sort of using people as workers is often uh, a significant reason why they're being trafficked. Um, so I've kind of now got a bit of an interest in like sort of pursuing employment law and yeah, seeing where that might take me. Do you feel hopeful about the future of modern slavery or has what you learn made you feel a bit more despondent? We've kind of come to a point where we have definitions, we have understandings of the different types of modern slavery and how that is different to humans, uh, sorry, to people smuggling and how that's different to human trafficking, which is still a part of modern slavery to some extent. So conceptualising it in its different um, components We've gotten to that point. That's great. Um, we've gotten to a point where we can identify um, circumstances that are circumstances of modern slavery as opposed to um, de jour um, slavery. So that was the um, Pacific slave trade, that mm -hmm. type of slavery. So we've kind of gotten an understanding of modern slavery and now it's a matter of now, like, I guess, making sure that legislation can be implemented to counteract modern slavery and to address it. And so... We're still, you know, in the still working that out. And I think that's one thing that all of our projects, we all notice that it's still a work in progress, which I guess the law always is because, you know, it reflects society, such society, you know, bounces back on it. But um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's an exciting time, I think. I think there's hope. All right. Yeah. <laughs> that's one yeah. for hope. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, Phoebe? Uh, I think doing the clinic, there's been highs and lows, you know, there's, um, there's times when you read a case and go, wow. Um, this is a huge issue. How can we? How can we possibly do anything about it? But there's also a lot of hope in that. Actually, we coming together and there there is something that can be done about it. Yeah, Kevin. So Kevin Bales was talking about how um, it's becoming professionalized um, as and, and modern as anti-slavery mm. um, movements as such are becoming more professionalized. So there's actually people working against it as a profession. Mm. Um, and so I think there's hope in that, in that um, as more people become aware, you can get more more resources and more people invested. Um, and he, But he also talked about um, redefining the way that we look at an issue. So rather than looking at an issue and going and being um, overwhelmed because our, our identity is kind of in being a consumer and in being a consumer, you can look at something and go, oh, that's a problem, I'll buy my way out of it. But actually at the end of the day, buying our way out of it. It would take a mass consumer movement to do something about it. So Kevin Bales talked about um, readjusting our thinking and looking at a problem. And rather than looking at it as a consumer, we look at it as a as an activist and go, okay, what can be done about it? And so I think in in shifting perspective, it almost brings hope in a way because mm. there there is something that can be done about it. And so that can bring hope to the situation. Yeah, I think there's hope. I like I feel overwhelmed by how systematic uh, systemic sorry the problem is and just the number of people that um, are affected but as these ladies have pointed out like there are sort of these avenues for um, redress that I think I think we'll get there um, but it will take time and I think a lot more people will suffer before yeah we can reach that point. Well, it's a unified bench anyway. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Ladies, thank you so much. Peggy, Phoebe and Ephthoxia, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You're giving me hope for the future. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. 
After hearing from those inspiring young women, you might be wondering, what can I do? Well, good news. In the next episode, our expert will have tips, strategies, and resources for reducing your own slavery footprint and information on what to do if you're seeing potential examples of modern slavery in society. Special thanks to our guests today, Peggy, Ephthoxia, and Phoebe. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you on the next episode of What Happens Next.